and we are back with another episode, another installment of the number one rated business show right here on The Real 1100 AM. I am your host today, Kevin C. Pride, and we live. We live, Greg. Are we live, Greg? Greg said, I am not talking to you today. We got a jam-packed show today. First of all, just to get a public announcement out there to let everybody know the ATL Business Journal is back online. It took me a week. It took me 80 hours. I was up to 4 o'clock this morning, turned around and got up at 6 o'clock and still came to work. But the Atlanta Business Journal is back online. They did everything they could to take us down. But we got our site back up and we got some brand new features for you guys. So I want everybody to go check out the atlbusinessjournal.com. We got some great new features. You can go. Uh, we got a new talk back feature right there on the website. So you can send us a voice message, and that voice message just might get played right here on the number one rated business show. Also, you can check out the interview that we just completed with Christopher Martin. It's right there on the homepage of the ATL Business Journal. Uh, it's a great interview. Christopher Martin is a great guy, and I'm going to try to get him right here on the real 1100 AM. Is that all right with you, Greg? Can we get him on here, Greg? Greg said he don't care. Get out of my face. Leave me alone. That's all right. Uh, also, uh, in some other news, right now, during the COVID crisis, the Influencer 365 uh, my marketing agency, we are stepping in to try to help business owners just like yourself. Uh, please go to kevincpride.com forward slash free and you can get a free 15 minute consultation with me. We can talk about your business. We can talk about what you got going on and how you can pivot during this new COVID normal that we are dealing with. Is that the right thing? Should I say that, Greg? I'm going to message you all day today. You're going to talk for the day over it. You are going to talk, sir. In the news, we got some great headlines right here on the ATLBusinessJournal.com. Please go to ATLBusinessJournal.com because I promise you I've been working so hard to get it back up for you guys. All right. What to know about Atlanta businesses reopening? The coronavirus hasn't slowed down in Georgia, but the state businesses are slowly reopening as of April 27th. Restaurants and a handful of other businesses like nail salons and gyms were allowed to reopen, and after weeks of staying at home, people are getting antsy. And I promise you, the streets is getting full and the traffic is getting packed. Uh, Smyrna resident Jordan Abel recently dined on the patio of Bad Daddy's Burger Bar in Smyrna. The staff was cautious from the moment we arrived, she says, adding that they wore masks, gloves, and that seating was spaced out. We definitely felt safe and enjoyed our experience. I got to be honest with y'all. I'm a little nervous. I done ate out a couple times, and they 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 don't know where how to wear a mask, right? I ain't gonna name no names because cause the food was good at Bahama Breeze this weekend, but <laughs> the manager, right? She had nerve to come talk to me, and the closer she got to me, she pulled down her mask, okay, to talk to me. And I'm like, hold on, what's the point of the mask if you're gonna take it down to get right in my face and start talking to me? So. That is still a little scary, but I got an expert uh, that's going to be on with us just in just a little bit that's going to talk a little bit more about these restaurant reopenings. Thank you so much. Also, the Atlanta Mayor's Council submits final report on reopening the city. Uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms and the Atlanta Advisory Council submitted a final report uh, Mayor Lance Bottoms Friday with their plans and recommendations for a gradual reopening of the city. Uh, the Advisory Council's report outlined three core focus areas for Atlanta's reopening. Uh, 
Uh, this is the strategy that they are recommending. The city established and tracked clear metric, metrics to signal to residents and businesses when they can come, can more safely reopen, what safety measures they should take, and how their operations or routines may need to be adjusted. Metrics will also enable the city, in partnership with the State Department of Public Health and other agencies, to quickly identify resurgences of COVID-19 and provide an early warning system to the public in the event safety measures and restrictions need to be reimposed. The city supplement the state's reopening criteria with additional voluntary guidelines. The council outlined five sequential phases for reopening, providing specific metrics that should be achieved to advance to each next phase and voluntary guidance for individuals, businesses, nonprofits, and the city for each phase. The city continued to work with public and private partners to address cross-cutting and sector-specific considerations for reopening, many of which cannot be addressed by a single actor or sector alone. Uh, Mayor Bottoms commented, Thank you for the members of the Advisory Council for your diligence in providing a thoughtful, detailed roadmap that will help inform our plans on the reopening of the city of Atlanta. I am also grateful to the thousands of individuals who participated in our resident survey, and it is my strong belief that our residents must be a part of this process. Together, we are on a path to ensuring that our plans for reopening the city continue to prioritize the safety and well-being of all Atlantans. So hopefully we will be opening uh, Atlanta very soon. <laughs> also, uh, everybody understands, or I think everybody knows about the Ahmad Arbery cases going around. Uh, and from, uh, he is a former Empire TV series songwriter. He uh, actually spoke out with some comments uh, around the death of Ahmad Arbery. The statement can be attributed to Six John, who is quarantine, quarantining in Las Vegas, and we have him today. Mr. Six John, are you there with us? I'm here. I'm here. What's going down? Oh, man. How you doing today? I'm good. How about yourself? Pretty good. Now, you recently commented on the Arbery's, uh, no, on Amar Arbery's murder, and you said Arbery's killing reflects a broader disdain for black lives. His death reinforces a concern among black people that black lives aren't value. Of course, it's not just Arbery. It's not just Georgia. Black people are killed at alarming rates by police and vigilante violence. You you care to uh, offer any statements on that? Yeah, it's just like uh, the constant disdain that, you know, that our lives aren't valued. Um, I originally um, wrote this song in, in 2018, and... It's, it's one of the pieces of music that I can't wait for it to, to go out of style because if I can kind of uh, express my, my concern about the situation and then the situation keeps reoccurring over and over throughout the years, it's kind of like the only piece of art that I don't really want to be timeless because I want all of this stuff to stop. Now, you are a uh, highly successful songwriter, and one of the biggest things uh, that we find that, you know, as you start to climb this ladder to success, you know, the levels of racism start to change a little bit, and, and that's a lot of what we hear from, you know, some of the top stars. Have you seen that in your career, or do you see that it's a little bit easier the more that you become known? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's unfortunately people treat you a little better when they know that you're uh, in a position to 
potentially help them or maybe you're surrounded by, you know, some of their favorite artists or, or actors or just, you know, celebrities in general. They, they treat you a little bit differently. And I, I can't say that it doesn't exist in my world, but you don't see it as much once you start to climb, climb the ranks a little bit, um, which is unfortunate because, you know, I, I want to be, I want it to, to be like kind of treated clearly across the board. Like don't treat me differently because I'm doing something. I, I, I definitely understand that. And it seems like the more that we start to climb that economic ladder and the more we become an economic force, uh, personally, it seems like a lot of this racism and a lot of that type of stuff starts to change a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's just one of those things where it's just like, you know, at what point, it's complete disregard for the human life. Uh, between the Arbery situation, between Breonna Taylor, who was the young lady that got killed in her own home, Sean Reed, who got killed by the police in a high-speed chase in Indianapolis. Um, and, and the cop made a statement because he didn't realize that, that the kid was, I guess, you know, broadcasting live on Facebook at the time of the chase. So when they gunned him down, his live was still recording. And the cop made a statement and said, uh, looks like it's going to be a closed casket, homie. Wow. And, like, like, things like that. And, you know, the cop wasn't fired. He was reassigned, suspended and reassigned. So it was like... It's just complete disregard. At this point, it's just like, come on. Like, when is it going to stop? Like, and, and and what's so sad, you know, it used to be that everybody uh, assumed that because we were in the South and this type of stuff, everything was so much worse. But, you know, we see that a lot of this racism and a lot of stuff that we're dealing with is more prevalent, like, up north in the Midwest and, I mean, really all over our country. Yeah, you see it. Um, it's starting to creep out a little more in, uh, in, in, in many facets of life, you know, music, sports jogging uh just walking down the street just driving like it could just be at any moment and you just never know what you know personally you know, i get that every time we wake up in the morning you know we could be in different different moods so um you could just be at the wrong place at the wrong time and meet a police officer that is having a bad day or maybe he had an encounter with somebody and they're taking out their frustrations or their shortcomings out on you and it's just not fair now, you recently wrote a song called Cotton that's starting to uh, grab the attention of a lot of people. Can you uh, kind of break that down just a little bit to us about what the title of that song means? Because I, I think you can misconstrue that a bunch of different ways. <laughs> yeah, so ultimately the, the, the message is, is kind of exactly what we're talking about, just the disdain, the disregard um, to black lives and, you know, just lives in the minority communities in general. But I guess one of the biggest lines in the song is in the hook that says, um, if you didn't want us in the U.S., you should have picked your own damn cotton. Wow. And so, you know, that that's one of those things. It's just like, you know, we didn't ask for this, and we're, you know, but while we're here, like, let's coexist. You know what I'm saying? Like, if there's enough in the pot for everybody to just live lives and be happy. Like, life is too short um, for anything like that to happen. But that that's what I was speaking about earlier. I actually wrote that song in 2018. Um, when we were closer to the Mike Brown era and stuff like that. But for that song to still be relevant, and, you know, like I said, I don't want that to... I, I try to write timeless pieces of music every time I pick up a pen, but that's one song that I don't want to be timeless. I don't want that song to just forever be relevant. Um, so this thing needs to kind of cease at, at some point. Well, I definitely thank you uh, for taking a few minutes out of your busy schedule to, to kind of comment on some of the statements that you made because I, I see that it's really making waves all over the place. We're getting a lot of response uh, to it on the Atlanta Business Journal. Uh, but I got to have you back for a big interview, man, and we'll be able to play the song on air. Can we play the song on air? <laughs> Is it okay? Play it on air, man. It's, you know, 
my music is 100% clean. The messages are, are what they are, but there's no expletives in my music. So you can definitely play it on air. I don't need to make any radio versions for nothing. All right. Well, Six John, thank you so much, man. And uh, definitely we're going to stay up with you and, and catch up with everything you're doing. You got anything coming coming up exciting? I know you just uh, dropped that album. Yeah, well, I just completed the album. We're in the mix and mastering phase right now. So um, looking to put that out in the very, very near future. Um, the album is called Cold Pizza, and Cotton is a part of that. So, it's, so by the time we get back on there and we do that, that, that bigger interview, I'm going to have a lot more information for you, possibly even a, a, a release date. Now, if somebody want to uh, keep up with you or uh, find out what you got going on, how can they stay up with you? Yeah, 6John, S-I-X-X-J-O-H-N. That's my Instagram. That's my Twitter. My Facebook is my, my government name, which is 6Johnson. Um, you can hit me up, inbox me, DM me. I'm not, you know, nowhere stuff where I don't hit back. Like, I respond to everybody. So let's talk. All right, man. Thank you so much. All the way from Las Vegas, everybody, 6John. Thanks for having me. Coming up next, switching gears just a little bit, uh, talking about the reopening in different communities, I have the president of Tech Latino himself, Mr. Jose Marquez. Jose, you there with me today? I hope so. Am I here? <laughs> How you doing, brother? I'm good. I'm good, man. Dealing with this rain in Atlanta. I hear you. Are, are you still staying in the house? You're social distancing? You, you, you're staying home? You're staying safe? Listen. We're, we're doing everything to stay safe. You know, right now, you know, this kind of, a, of an illness is the kind of an illness that will get the poor people, the people who work, the people who have to go to work every day, uh, those poor people that are going to, to work at Kroger's and, and going to uh, Publix and working in, uh, you know, laying cable. Still, they got to be out there. They got to be working because they have to work. They got those essential jobs that have to be helping us that are lucky enough to stay home. So I give a lot of credit to them, and and I and to them I say, hey, maybe it's time for you to look at life from a different angle. Now that this whole thing has happened, I think it's time that we go back to school, and we and we start to educate ourselves. And uh, there's a lot of ways to do that. You do it through online, or you do it going to universities that are offering some courses so people can actually start to pivot on their own and find a better way for, for them to live and to give their families a better way. Now, I, I think you're talking about the new phrase that everybody's talking about, the big pivot, okay? Is that what we're talking about, the big pivot? Yeah, well, I mean, we all have to pivot. We, we're in a situation right now where life as we knew it is not the same, it, you know, I don't know when was the last time I've gone to a social function in and of itself. Um, it is a different world we're in. We have to figure out how do we work now and not the way we used to work, right, where we would go and meet people and, and go to an event or go to a, a concert. This is not happening for now, or at least it's not happening until we find a cure. So for the next year, year and a half, we're going to have to figure something new up and we're going to have to figure out how do we learn something new uh, that is in high demand so that even though a pan another pandemic may come, that you're able to, to, to continue working and working from a safe location where you could be contained um, for two, three months and not worry about those checks coming in. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, how is this uh, uh, affecting your community? Because I, I I know in the black community, you know, we're saying that it's over uh, proportionally affecting us. How is this affecting the Latino community? Well, 
up to 90% of most minorities and, and women owners, uh, small business owners, are literally shut out of the Paycheck Protection Plan. So, you know, we're, we're being affected. <clears throat> a lot of our... A lot of our groups, uh, a lot of our businesses are not able to, to, they don't know, you know, how to even fill out the application unless, um, you know, go and get, and go and get this. The Small Business Administration is doing a great job for everybody else except for minorities. 95% of black-owned businesses and, and 91% of Latino-owned businesses are not even close to receiving uh, a PPP loan or uh, through the mainstream banks and credit unions. They, they're unbanked. They're, uh, they're small banked, you know? So as of May 6th, the P, the paycheck protection program has had nothing to do with the Hispanics and African American communities. Wow. Now, what, what are, are, are some of the things that you're hearing in your community? What are, what are some of the main, uh, things that people are, are, are talking about because i know a lot of business owners that you know we deal with are still suffering from the simple fact that they just can't reopen their doors a lot of restaurants you know still mm-hmm. can't seat full capacity what are some of the things that, that you're hearing on your side you're 100 percent right on that you know the lack of being able to function their business you know uh most of our businesses are small businesses you know, whether we have five employees, it's mom and pop shops, it's restaurants that are owned by families. So, you know, we had a case out in Silicon Valley that we have a, a, a Hispanic business that's been in business for over, over 70 years. So it's a family owned business. And they were on, they had, in order for them to continue to survive, they had to go on, um, one of the, uh, crowdfunding, uh, uh, websites and raise money that way, you know, to continue to be able to, to function, to keep their location, because, you know, guess what? That's prime location. They're going to want to take it from you. So if you're not being able to pay your rent, pay your lights, pay your, your bills, how could you, you know, and if you can't feed people or you can't do, you know, you're not cleaning or you're not cutting grass or you're not doing, you know, other things, then you need to figure out a way to, to, you know, to pivot those, those services and and start to do certain things on in technology. See, this is why I think it's so important to bring leaders of all these different communities out here because we're not hearing this on CNN. I'm not hearing about, you know, how much this is affecting the Latino community. We're hearing about black people, true enough, and, and don't get me wrong, we, we love that. But, you know, the Latino community is also being heavily affected by this, but we're not hearing that, that type of stuff on CNN. So it's so great that we have this opportunity to sit down with people like the president of Tech Latino himself, Jose Marquez, to uh, be able to let us know what's really going on in these communities. Absolutely, man. You know, we, we've got to, we got to be able to... What, one of the things I've always preached, and you've known me for a long time now, is that we must come together as a community because we're we're never going to receive the respect and when we do it alone together we can we can do a lot of things we have to be together black and brown in order for us to make sure that the, that the bigger picture is being seen because if you look at the 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 numbers our numbers are bigger than everybody else on this planet oh yeah you know there's more blacks there's more hispanics there's more minority. There's more women in small business. Now, what about those people? Those are the ones who are driving this United economy. And if they don't go, if they're not healthy, 
if they're not getting what they need, then that's where we're that's where we're at. We're lacking totally as a as a country. Um, you know, you know, everybody's been worried. Oh, we gotta we gotta open up because of the economy. We gotta get the economy going again. How could you have? How, if you don't have healthy consumers, <laughs> you're going to have an economy. Okay. So you need to make sure that number one, that we're all healthy, and you know we have to go out there and do what we have to do. We must wash our hands. We must six degrees of separation. Um, we must use our masks. We should not be going to every function, every park, because that virus preys on people that are not paying attention. Wow. So, you know, and, and our community is always, you know, we're, we're always looking for the next crazy thing to do. Or we, oh, we want to go, oh, it's 90 degrees. I want to go, I want to go to Piedmont, Piedmont Park. But guess what? Piedmont Park might have some purpose out there. I know that you know, birthday opened for you it up, come brother. Piedmont uh, Park you know, was not where you wanted sneezed, to be. And, it's, and it's, like, it's in the air, and you don't even know it. You're just walking around. And all of a sudden, you feel bad. And the next day, you feel sicker. Wow. So that, that, that our government says, oh, that our governor says, oh, I want to open up. Notice what, notice what businesses were open, Kevin. That's, that, what were the first businesses that they opened up? Oh, yeah, barbershops, nail salons, and, of course, the bowling alley. I still do not understand the bowling alley. We have reached out to Brian Kemp's well, office for comment on the bowling alley, but he has not commented back just yet. But notice <laughs> what he opened up first, tattoo parlors and haircutting places. That's true. Who goes there first? Who are the ones who are most tattooed? Who are the ones who got to have the dopest haircut? We are, you know. Because, hey, man, listen, I'm walking around with an afro. I haven't had an afro since 1987. What? <laughs> I got an afro going on. My, I'm not going <laughs> to cut my hair. I don't let my lady go and do her nails. Because guess what? Anywhere there's an open wound on your body, you can. So you're using a razor. So you coughed a little bit. And that, on that razor, there was a little bit of COVID. Guess what? You're going to get it on you. Now, and it's all about our health and our immunity. That's what it is. The most Hispanics and the most African-American medic has problems. We have problems with diabetes. We have problems with heart attack. It's about immune systems. Because if you notice, it says it doesn't really affect the young people and the, the people who have health. Well, if you're healthy, you're good. If you're not healthy, you get caught out there. You're going, you're going I mean, look, I have, I have friends that we thought were healthy and and uh you know i've lost about three friends in the last two weeks wow i'm sorry to hear that you man. know my condolences yeah no 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 i mean look it, it is life but you know you know life is not guaranteed to anybody but but to lose people that are still useful in our community due to a to a virus where we could have had all this already taken care of i mean something if this government would have acted quickly enough they had the manuals they had everything from 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 obama's administration to make sure that there would be no problems when they would have to they had a playbook okay what happened to that playbook 
We, what we, happened to the people that I were there? I think we fired all those people. <laughs> huh? I think we fired all the playbook. We, we got rid of that whole <laughs> that whole office. And and now he fired all of them, and now what? Now yeah. we're in the situation where we eighty, ninety thousand people. Man, we got We really, really got to get out and vote. Oh, we yeah. really need to eliminate this last uh, last term. Make this guy a one term president. And make sure that we get someone in there that knows what the heck they're doing, you know, because we 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 can't have this happen again. Just because to, I don't know how long, you know, if we if we'll last another one. If this happens in February or March of next year, dude, life is going to be totally wrecked because our economy is not going to come back at least another two years. How many people are out of business? How many people out of business? How many people out of work? Yeah. Millions, millions. At least I know what the last numbers that we got was about it's close to about 25 million Americans completely out of work. So what happens to them? Oh yeah, especially when when and that's the that's the main thing I've been talking to a lot of people about because right now what we're seeing is the government propping up a lot of people, you know, people getting an extra $600 a week in, in unemployment and this type of thing. But what actually happens when um when that type of help and that type of um that type when of, your case is closed. Exactly, exactly. Now, real quick before you get out of here, man, uh, you also yep. do some mega events in the Latino community around uh, tech. It's the yep. ETLS Summit. So what are you going to do about that this year? Well, again, once again, we have had to pivot. The Emerging Technology Leadership Summit for 2020 probably will not happen until maybe January, February of next year. We don't know. Wow. We are still in the process of waiting and waiting this out, we had to cancel our May 7th event, which was going to be a powerhouse of an event. We had Soledad O'Brien coming in. We had um, Michael, McDow- Michael McDowell, who's a huge Homeland Security um, guy from uh, cybersecurity guy for, home- for Homeland Security, big time. We had another FBI agent coming in to talk about cybersecurity in the small business world. We had great speakers. We had a great event planned, and I had to you know, send out the saddest note of my life, which was, hey, I got to cancel this. You know, and never in my 27 years of running this organization did I ever think that we would ever have to come, you know, deal with something like this, that we have had to change our, our, you know, hey, people look forward to having our events in their cities. You know, every year I do four events. I do them, I do them in New York. I do it in, the only one I did this year was Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. was amazing at, at, at my motion picture uh, Association of America. I mean, it was a, a tremendous event. You know, over 300 people showed up. And then we had, we were getting ready for May 7th. And all of a sudden, this thing happens. And I've had to say, so how do we do it now? So now we got to do figuring out where we're evaluating platforms because we've seen that Zoom has a lot of issues. Um, you know, and uh, we did a Zoom with, uh, uh, Edward James almost, we had about 400 people on that Zoom. Wow. And, uh, at the beginning of this whole, you know, p- uh, pandemic, uh, and coronavirus situ. Um, <clears throat> and guess what? We had some hacker come in and some guy, and then once I saw that there's lack of security on that thing, I never did another Zoom meeting again. Wow. Well, so this I, hacker I, I came on and dressed up like a man, right? I, I tell you what we need to do. All right. Yeah. 2021 ETLS. 
headline of Kevin C. Pryor's speaker. I think that's the, I think that's the ticket. I think that's how we need to do it. Oh, but you was going to be a speaker on that <laughs> in our marketing program. <laughs> you know, so man. yeah, of course we had Kevin. Kevin, <laughs> Kevin, of course you were going to be on there. But folks, don't forget. You know, and I, I don't know how much more time I'm allocated, but don't forget, there's a lot of opportunity in cybersecurity, artificial intelligence. These there's companies out there who are looking for artificial intelligence people who can. Um, you know, be able to analyze their business for $80,000, $90,000 starting salary. Um, if you're in a position, you know, where you want to take some training, uh, send me an email, look me up on Facebook and Instagram, um, visit our website, www.techlatino.org. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're Latino. It just matters that you want to learn and that you want to try something new. And so, like I said, big data, business intelligence, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence. If you're not in those, if you're not working in that, in those fields, you're literally putting yourself out of it. So if you're not doing anything right now, look up what artificial intelligence is and find out what cybersecurity opportunities there are out there and just do a search on Indeed and see how many jobs there are out there. There's plenty of jobs. The problem is that we're not trained for it. And I've been saying that for a couple of years now, too, right, Kev? Oh, yeah. Well, once again, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry I got to cut you off, Jose, because I know you'll talk to me all day long. But you know it. Uh, <laughs> if anybody want to get in contact with Jose Marquez, catch up with Tech Latino, please let them know how they can get in contact with you. Hey, man, listen, they can call me at 770-765-3478. 770-765-3478. Or you can send us an email at techlatino.org you can say uh, send it to um, I'm sorry techlatino.org is our website uh, our, and our email is jam at a-l-i-s-t-a dot o-r-g that's jam at lista alista.org one last time y'all Jose Marquez the president of Tech Latino himself thank you so much Jose thank you Kevin and keep up the good work Governor Brian Kemp has announced a new executive order that has extended Georgia business restrictions and social distancing guidelines through the end of May. Uh, the Department of Public Health Commissioner Dr. Kathleen Toomey and other officials announced that the order in the North Wing of, oh, they announced it in the North Wing of Georgia State Capitol. The new executive order keeps bars and music venues throughout Georgia closed until May 31st. Social distancing and sanitation guidelines must also remain in place through the end of May for all open businesses. Joining me today, she is the president. She's a president, okay, uh, of the Georgia Hospitality and Food Service Network, Miss Tandalyn Daniels. How are you doing today, Miss Tandalyn Daniels? I am wonderful today, Miss Rainy Day. Hi, Kevin. How are you? It's, I mean, it's it's a great day. These are crazy times in the restaurant industry. Yes, um, it lots is. To deal with. How are how are residents? I mean, how are restaurant owners dealing with the fact that a lot of them, especially the bars, are going to have to stay closed till uh, the end of May? I think that since mid March, when all this started, you know, it's all a very learning and evolving thing. So when you say how are they dealing with it, in the same way they have, some people have just opted to stay closed. Okay. Some people have already shuttered their doors, like they're they're gone. 
Wow. And we're anticipating about 30% to not make it back when COVID-19 is said and done. Now, everybody but, keep uh, throwing these percentages out there. What does that number really look like? We're talking about 30% of the restaurants maybe not coming back. Well, here in the state of Georgia, there are roughly 18,000 restaurants. So, Whew. you know, what's the math? So that might be 6,000 that go away if that L. number bears <laughs> out. Huh? I said don't ask me to do math on L. <laughs> okay, okay. So that's roughly, but the, the reality is what does it look like even today? You know, when you try to go place an order, they still have all of the same operating costs that they've ever had, whether, and, but they're getting a much larger, pers- uh, less people in the door more delivery orders where they have to um, pay high, high delivery fees of almost 30% per order. So this is really devastating. And, and you know, it's so funny. You know, everybody's talking about this pivot and how well restaurants are able to shift to this whole delivery thing. But like you said, they're paying almost 30%. So this is really not helping these restaurants that much. I mean, I'm sure they're staying afloat with what they're getting. But are, are well, restaurants thriving right now with the delivery? I, I, I don't think I don't think that most people are quote unquote thriving. I think a different word to use for those who are open might be surviving. Okay. Because you have to understand that you know uh, I'm working with a client right now. Their rent is fifteen thousand a month. Wow. Okay. They're accustomed to bringing in hundred, you know, grand, and what's going on is they're bringing in. $25,000. Wow. Yes. The doors are open, but they're, they're just inundated with all of these things to have to contend with. You know, the employees are now, in some instances, making $1,000 a week um, and opting to not come. Mm. The Having them space your tables apart, the sanitation factor and trying to get into that. When the reality, you don't even have anybody inside your restaurant, but you've got to do something. There are a lot of, there's a lot of money being outlaid for people who are already operating on a three to five percent margin before COVID nineteen. Wow. What what uh what sides of this whole restaurant thing? Because you know we got all kind of restaurants here in Atlanta. Which ones do you see doing the best right now? I know pizza pizza places, wing places are probably doing great. What are some of the other so, restaurants that you, you see are, are doing pretty well? Anything with a drive-through quick service is probably going to be able to withstand this um, better than a sit-down or fine dining. It, you know, there's so many different levels, but there's fast, casual restaurants. So if you have to go in there and sit down um, and they don't have drive-through, but they are really pivoting with curbside pickup, but I, I, I just want to stress again, you know, let me give you an example, and this is a very real story. I was talked to an operator, and he had received 350k in PPT, the Payment Protection Program. Okay. And he's accustomed to making 100 to 125 thousand dollars a week. And What's he's making. Let me call him real quick. <laughs> <laughs> and he's making 25 thousand dollars a week right now. Wow. You know, he was lamenting that 17 people had come into his restaurant. Well, you still have the gas. You still have every rent. You still have to, for the people that are there, they need to be paid. Um, and you probably want to enrich that payment if you can. But if somebody said, oh, he should feel blessed, and I turned and I said, that's not his cup. His cup 
is $125,000 a week. $25,000 to him is different than it might be to somebody else who doesn't make that amount of money. And and I think we can't stress enough with businesses because a lot of folks think just because you're a business owner and you might be able to throw out a couple of big figures or a couple of big checks that you just really balling or or you ain't got these big expenses to go right along with the type of money that we're making. What do typical restaurants like what does a typical month in a restaurant kind of look like for most of these people that make that type of uh, that make that type of income? Like what did those expenses kind of look like in a month? Well, the biggest P&L for, I think, any business or on your, um, the, the biggest line item is typically your rent, which is about 15 to 18%. I mean, if you're, if you're in Buckhead, that, that can be a little bit different. Then, of course, paying your employees and the taxes that are associated with that. Then um, there's the food itself is expensive um, in general. Um there's just so much. Everything grease trap. Um, then you've got most restaurants probably have three to seven different vendors that they're paying. They have to pay their city fees if you're selling alcohol. Even if they're annual fees, everything is pulling off that bottom line. They make their money plate to plate, person to person. You know, wow. it's a 20-minute wow. table turn. If you're not getting enough, people in that door and that happens often enough that's a real struggle that's a real struggle now let me switch gears just a little bit what about the people that's actually working in these restaurants because i i i i'm hearing the jokes go around about essential workers and non-essential workers how these non-essential workers out here just balling getting that six hundred dollars <laughs> and the people that's actually got to come to work is, is really the people that's suffering are these restaurants doing anything to offset that or are the people that's working doing better than the ones at home? What I mean, how's that running? I don't think that I can speak to that because I think that's it. But I am going to say something, okay? You know me. <laughs> I think that <laughs> I think that once again, and I call it "What's Your Cup." Um, some I know servers that make sixty to eighty thousand dollars a year. Whew. Okay, that is so they might be. Um, you know, working at an exclusive place in the Highlands, you're not, they, they are not going to give up those jobs very easily because if the economy comes back, and these are fantastic services, this is a career. This is not just something that they're doing to pay gas. Then you have a different level where, you know, you might not be bringing in as much money per week. However, you're making your money off your tips once again. Okay. If, if enough people are not coming in and you're not seeing a tip, it probably would be more advantageous at this time to receive those monies. But as we say that, these restaurants, you know, they're like literally forming families with their employees and everything else. Once again, I'm working with somebody. You know, he's brought his staff back. He's working it out where they can continue to receive the unemployment money, and then he gives them additional money. What I'm trying to say is they're trying to take care as best they can of their staff and the people that they're serving in these truly uncertain times. You know, this is, this is unheard of. It, it, I think I got my chops at Waffle House. Okay. I think about, I think about a decade ago. And uh, this is insane. Because there was enough to do in the job 
before you got to social distancing, okay? And from cleaning and busting the table to putting the food down to getting the order right, like I said there, it was a 20-minute table turn. Um, And I don't think people understand when you say an essential worker, you know, it's on the fence. But I think, of course, the restaurant industry who's who's staying open right alongside the hospitals, people have to eat. You know, in my mind, they are essential workers. Okay. Because um, if you got to go to work, you got to have something to eat. That's true. Because I'm working now in downtown Atlanta. I'm right there at 17th Street, and there is nothing to eat. So I just had to start bringing <laughs> snacks and Lunchables and all this other type of stuff because Metro Fresh and uh, 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 what is that, Jimmy John's across the street, all that stuff, nobody is open yet. And it's, wow. it's yeah, it's hard to deal with. And then the other side, you know, so many of these corporations are still closed. So Atlanta is still kind of like a ghost town, you know, mostly riding through it right now. So it still, it still kind of feels eerie. Most of these restaurants, like I say, uh, just have not reopened their doors yet. Right. Have you dined out late, lately? I, I dined, at, dined out at one of my favorite spots, and I think that they were doing a fantastic job. Uh, Chef Rob's uh, Caribbean. I got, some, I, I, I got some complaints. I ain't going to say nothing because I don't want nobody's business to get hurt. But uh, I dined at a Bahama Breeze. I ain't going to say which one. But all I'm going to say is this. We need to get somebody to go around here and train people on PPE because I think a lot of folks that are not used to it, they don't understand personal protective equipment and what really is breaking sterilization and what's not. I'm seeing people, they're not changing gloves in between interacting with people. I'm seeing people taking their masks down to actually talk to you and this type of stuff. And in this day and age, I I, I mean, I think we got to figure out something. I think, man, you need to come up with a certification. Well, I think... You're absolutely correct, and that is one of the reasons why moving too fast is a bit troubling. Once again, if before March 18th, March 11th, whatever date you want to choose, before you were impacted by this, um, you were a server or you were a cook, and your job, you know, it was full right there. Now you've introduced as you just said, uh, the personal protection equipment, which is needed, but just how are you using it? You're absolutely right. Are you changing your gloves at the right time? Are you um, making sure that you're not only protecting yourself but the guests? It's very hard to eat and, and take orders and do certain things with, with things over your mouth, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so you're in and just to shamelessly plug my company, we also do restaurant consulting. And I was help about to that. get you to but, that. Okay, we got to wait on that. I was about to give you the plug. I'm finna lay it out for you right now. I was going to say, <laughs> once again, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Talon Daniels from <laughs> the Georgia Hops Talon Employee Service Network. And if and, anybody um, wants a consultation or wants to uh, find out more about your organization or get connected to you, how can they do that? Well, um, we have... My direct number is 404-465-9902. Definitely we have a website that is www.gahfn.com. Once again, .gahfn.com. Um, and my email is tandalin at ghfn.com, and I can spell it, but it's T-A-N-D-E-L-Y-N. <laughs> I'm getting confused, at gahfn.com. But the value prop of my company I spent um, five years working for the food lobby. I sold uh, roughly 3,000 units in the state of Georgia under the mission of 
you know, helping them get better and, you know, and during the, with, within the legislative process. And so I met a lot of people, and then they would join, and they would come back and say, you know, we really do need operations help. And then I would connect them to different service providers. So in addition to restaurant consulting, my organization has service providers that have been vetted. They show up and do what they're supposed to do for the money that the restaurateur is spending. Then we also offer educational classes, which in June, you know, I, I'm kind of uh, I'm pivoting now to doing those as um, webinars. It took a while, but we think we've got a great lineup coming okay. um, starting in June for, you know, am I doing my taxes right? We were probably going to even have somebody to talk about the best way to use PPE, what to do once you've gotten the loan, all this other stuff. And marketing your business with Kevin C. Pride. Once again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Who is? a member of the Georgia Hospitality and Food Service Network, by the way. Yes, I am. <laughs> a very proud member. And I promise you, Tanalyn Daniels will do everything she can to hook you up with all the business that you can handle. Thank you so much for joining me today. Unfortunately, I got a jam-packed show, and we got to go. One last time, right. how can we get in contact with you? Give them one way. Um, 404-465-9902. All right, Ms. Tanalyn Daniels, thank you so much. All right, have a great day. <sighs> Coming to the end of the show, we have our premier Olympic medalist, all right? He is a competitor who strives for excellence on the field and in the boardroom, and most importantly in the community, describes Eric Mer Merriweather at his core. Dr. Merriweather has been able to use his athletic ability to guide him through life while bringing others along for the ride, and he is here with us today. Dr. Merriweather, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing excellent. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. He actually in studio with us. He was brave enough to come. When nobody else brave enough to come. <laughs> Ain't that right, Greg? <laughs> How you doing, sir? I'm doing excellent. Uh, like I said, I'm excited to be here. And this is my outlet for the day. <laughs> so that's why I decided to join you here today. And everything is very well sanitized and very clean here. So I think we're in good hands here. <laughs> now, tell us about, you have the AAAG uh, Incorporated. Please explain that uh, organization to us. Uh, it's the African American Association of Georgia. It's an organization that I started in 2002. Uh, the vision is basically to help low-income people. So our motto is to empower people and have them ready for lifestyle, job readiness, and education. So I was working with a group of kids that I trained because I'm a mentor as well, and these kids were always needing food and needing clothing and needing shoes. And I was like, wow, you know, that 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 thing just kept ringing in my head. And then one day I was just sitting in church and it's like God just gave me this vision. And at first I was like, OK, God, you got the wrong person. Go get somebody else. I'm not doing this, <laughs> you know. And then it came about again. And then I said, I, I, I believe that I'm supposed to to do this. And it's like once I took ownership of that. I felt like everything was made easy. It's like God stepped in and just pushed the button and everything just began to flow. So started taking care of these people and just seeing the big need. And we started out with like 30 people out wow. of my garage. We right now, as of 2020, 
Yay. This is our 18-year <laughs> anniversary. We've been doing this for about 18 years now. We have a database of close to 5,000 families that we take care of. Wow. So we service right now about 1,100 to 1,200 families a month. And they're able to come in and get food, clothing, personal hygiene products, uh, different education books. And then we also do uh, job referrals where people are hiring. So we give them information on where to locate jobs as well. Wow, with no cost to the family or, or anything like that? No cost at all. What we call it is love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that is so beautiful and so needed in this day and age because so many people, especially with this COVID crisis, just just uh, capitalizing on, on people that's already in, in bad situations and so many folks losing their jobs and then so many businesses starting to close. I, I, it's just commendable what you guys are doing. I appreciate that. And then also we've seen our numbers increase tremendously. Like I told you, we already had a database of close to 5,000 people, okay. but our numbers for new clients are averaging two to 300 clients a week. So wow. this thing is really hitting home, especially in the underserved communities, you know, and I heard you talking earlier about essential workers and a lot of those low income families, they are the essential workers to wow. our community. So they're barely making enough to get by. So we just want to be that group to be able to change the normalcy, be able to give them the support that they need in order to move forward in life. Now, a lot of nonprofits in your situation are starting to kind of run out of money. Are you guys having some of those issues right now? We uh, donors have come down based on everything that's going on. And I heard you talking earlier about the PPP plan. Yes. It's it's for businesses that have lower numbers of employees. It's a little more difficult. You know, we're not some of the big ones that may have five or six hundred employees Per location, as we've heard, yeah. you know, so they get two point seven or they may get 20 or 30 million dollars. And I heard him talk on CNN. What about the smaller groups? Exactly. You know, the mom and pops that may have 100 employees or less. What about that group? You know, and PPP, it covers payroll. But uh, you're looking at like the young lady was talking about. You're looking at rent. You're looking at utilities. You're looking at transportation fees that we have to pay to get the donated product to us. The product is not the issue. It's being able to maintain financially to have the fees to support what we're trying to do for the community. Wow. You are also a author. Am I correct? I am. Now, tell us about your book. <laughs> My book, and, and, and I think it all plays in even to the nonprofit as well. My book that I wrote talks about my life growing up as an African-American child okay, and what I've experienced. And I think this happens in a lot of our households. So in my book, I talk about molestation. I talk about rape. I talk about abuse. I talk about chronic illnesses. And that's one of the things that, you know, I heard you say with this COVID thing, our communities and the diseases, the different diseases in our communities, when this COVID thing comes in, it impacts our group a lot more. That's true. You know, so I talk about all those things on how I've gone through it and how I've persevered and just kind of appreciated the past, so to speak, which created my present right now. So I'm just, uh, I wrote the book to celebrate life, basically. Wow. 
What's the name of the book? It's called Knowing Your Identity Through Christ. Knowing Your Identity Through Christ. Now, give me some of the principles in the book. The principles in the book, it talks about, I, I, I believe that as a child growing up and going through everything you go through, because we are all once children, your identity is being shaped. And if you're dealing with abuse, you're dealing with rape, you're dealing with molestation, it changes courses for you. So there's all these uncertainties as to who you are when it comes to your identity. So you go looking, you go out doing certain things, whether it's being promiscuous, whether it's drugs, whatever it is, you're finding an outlet to connect to, to make yourself feel like you're somebody. Even though it may be bad for you, you're creating a sense of connectivity. And in that process, I think a lot of people lose their identity and not really know who they are. You know, it, it's it's amazing that you say that because I, I grew up in an abusive household. My father was abusive. And one of the biggest things for me was, uh, as an adult, it was a sense of worthlessness. Yeah. Just feeling like you you didn't matter to this world or you, you didn't have that same value as everybody else. And it took me years to really get over that. And, you know, one of the things to connect back to what you just said, the streets are way too accepting. Of you. Yeah. <laughs> they quick. Like the boys in the hood, they, they quick. Right. Come on, man. We got you. We got you. Just come on with right, us. Right. Don't say nothing when we go in this stuff. But... <laughs> So did you did you experience any of that growing up, like that that sense of worthless? Because you're a very accomplished guy, and for me, it made me an overachiever. I would say now that I am, now that I've realized who Eric really is, okay, it's given me the ability to surpass the past, so to speak. Because in the beginning, I was searching uh, by having relationships or doing drugs or um, even trying suicide. Wow. You know, it didn't work because God had a plan for me. And I literally tried, you know, and, and I can be perfectly honest with everyone is that at that time, that moment that I tried, it was 89 ibuprofen. I counted them out wow. and a whole bottle of alcohol that I drink. Wow. But the, the faith in me still said, God, if I wake up in the morning, that means you have an assignment for me. So I laid down after all of that, me personally not expecting to wake up, but I woke up like nothing ever happened. So from that point forward, that let me know how valuable I really was. You know, and I'm not saying that you have to uh, try to do suicide to find your value. I'm just saying that you really have to trust your internal instincts. Don't let the exterior of life make you into something that you're really not. Wow. Yeah. Now, you are a celebrated athlete. You, you're you not just a regular person. Let's <laughs> let's get it out there just right. I don't know if you got the medal with him or not. <laughs> but you're a very celebrated athlete. Mm-hmm. Did you find that those experiences in childhood drove you harder, or was it? I would say for me, it kind of stagnated me in the, in the beginning because, like I said, I'm being in an abusive household where I watched my father Uh, abused my mother so it was like there was a whole lot of distractions for me as far as being an athlete even though I was in high school but once I got out I had to go through this merit of changes with really knowing who I am and then once I found out I got back into the track world on the master side of things and then everything just soared from there 
because now I finally connected to who I was. So I've done two Masters Olympic Games. I've done 15 indoor championships, not 15 indoors, but 15 world championships, both indoors and outdoors. I've been to Australia. I've been to South Africa. I've been to Italy. I've been to France. I've been to a lot of different places to compete. And it's given me the value that it's given me now to know that even if I had done it back then, that I would have been successful at it, but I was just distracted at the moment. Wow. Now, who faster, you or Usain Bolt? Uh, I would give Usain Bolt. <laughs> <laughs> I would give it to him all day, definitely. Wow. Now, if someone wants to pick up a copy of your book and, and read it, how can they find the book? They can go to my website. It's called knowingyouridentity.com, and you can just click on the link to purchase the book. And I guarantee you will be blessed by this book. Knowingyouridentity.com. Now, you got a, a, another master's coming up pretty soon? Uh, we did. It was actually supposed to be in Toronto, Canada, but they canceled everything due to COVID. So okay. they're right now looking at the process of moving everything to 2021, like the World Championships for the Elite Athletes, the Olympic Games. Everything is moving into 2021 just based on how this pandemic is going to move. So, Well, I know you are a uh, very powerful man and a very busy man, and I definitely appreciate you stopping by with us today. Uh, if somebody wants to follow you on social media or just stay in contact with Dr. Eric Merriweather, how can they reach you? Uh, my social media handle on IG is E Merriweather, and Merriweather is spelled M E R R I, weather, like the weather outside. Twitter is E T Merriweather, and Facebook is Eric Merriweather. And then also, I'll give you my website information, which is T H E. AAAUSA.org. That's our nonprofit organization. And there are a lot of families in need. So I would encourage anyone, if you're in need, you can even reach out to our organization at 866-305-0572. But also, even if you have a kind heart, this is our 18-year anniversary. So if you want to donate, please visit our website. We would greatly appreciate that. And you would be helping so many families at this time. Well, you definitely got my donation, man. I'm uh, going to put a donation in there tonight. Matter of fact, I'm going to do it right in front of you so you can hold me to it. (laughs) I appreciate it. Uh, It's it's getting close. Greg playing the music. (laughs) You playing the music on me? God, Greg. We got to get out of here, y'all. It's been another installment of the number one rated business show right here on the Real 1100 AM. Please stay tuned. Uh, We'll be back next week. Uh, Memorial Day. Kevin Pride is working. I'm working. Greg say he ain't working. Greg ain't working, but my birthday is Friday, May 22nd. Please hit me up on uh, Facebook and let me know you think about me. Uh, other than that, I'm about to get out of here. I am KC Pride, Instagram, Facebook, and everywhere else. We are out. <laughs>